Ladies and gentlemen, it is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. We are back again. Last episode was episode 44, but of late, I found myself not believing in 45, if ever, of the last four years. So we're jumping right to number 46. Episode 46, our guest is Erica Fox. Woo! I'm honestly, I'm so grateful that I'm not guest 45. Yeah, don't, don't, you're not even allowed to say the number. Rubik's Cube. Rubik's Cube. There we go. Dan, in post, will you take that out, please? <laughs> I got you covered. Yeah. Yeah, it's all gone. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. All right. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us here again today. Um, we are brought to you by, today on my end, uh, Guinness. So cheers to you, Erica. Clink. Clink. What are you drinking? What, what red wine you got there? Oh, that this is the, the endlessly fancy black box Cabernet because Ooh. in times like these, you know, you need the most bang for your buck. So. Absolutely. No judgment here. I support <laughs> that 110%. Yeah. This, this, this four pack of Guinness was on sale. It's like, ooh, a treat. Not, yeah. not just a Pipper 30 rack over here. Not at all. Um, I want to let yeah. our, our intro music is War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Please go out to iTunes and, and cop that joint ASAP. Give them a like and follow so they don't sue me because they haven't necessarily given me permission, but they don't know that yet. But it's okay. I'm not getting paid. So anyway, I'm here for the laughs. I'm here for the joy. Erica, how, how, how are we doing? How are we doing? Oh, you know, well, so I'm here in LA, um, which is definitely, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, people keep asking me like how it, how it's been with everything that's going on right now. Yeah. Um, and I think unlike New York, we're just not as on top of each other as we are out here. So there's, or as we are out there. Um, so like we haven't, uh, I haven't necessarily like noticed a big difference in my, well, I've noticed a big difference in my routine, but like, it's like you, you're all in your cars anyway. And so like, if you're not driving anywhere, you're not really noticing like empty streets as much. Um, definitely noticing less pollution. I'll say that. And like, it is quieter. I feel like I'm hearing a lot more sirens, even though I guess that could just be sign of the times. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Things are things are definitely weird. I mean, like Hollywood's shut down. I think that's probably the weirdest thing is like everyone I know who works in the industry is just at a standstill. Oh. Um, are I you involved in any problem. like? Are you involved in any like online creation, Zoom play reads and stuff like that? Uh, not yet. I kind of started at the beginning of um, everything when I still I think was like, hey, this can be really great and, and a lot of time for creation. Um, I started doing um, what I was calling Swan Day readings. So for those of you who aren't familiar, there's this really great organization called Statera Arts, um, which is an organization that's all about like uplifting, amplifying and bringing awareness um, and bringing women into full participation in the arts. But it was formed by a bunch of actors and theater makers. So the focus is definitely in the theater realm. Um, and they introduced this thing called Swan Day which SWAN stands for Support Women Artists Now. 
So while I was in graduate school, um, a good friend of mine, uh, the wife of one of my cohort actually, uh, introduced us all, all the women in the program to this. And um, she like had a swan day in her apartment. And so everyone, their task was to um, like research a female playwright and then come in with like a scene um, or a monologue or something uh, to kind of present and shine light on, on female playwrights. So by the end of the day, you know, we had heard work from like six different female playwrights. Um, and it was really cool and inspiring. And, um, and so like, I figured kind of on my own, I have this time. I was like, you know, how great would it be if I could highlight some uh, female playwrights that I love and then also hopefully read some more plays and, um, and start, kind of shedding light on people that I'm discovering and finding to be really cool. So I did a couple readings. I did um, one from Sarah Rule, who's like my favorite. Uh, and then I did this playwright called Hilary Batiste, uh, who wrote this really stunningly beautiful play called The Ghosts of Lotte Bravo. Um, mm -hmm. She's like in her 30s, young, badass, um, she trained at Juilliard so like you know she's got some chops but uh yeah it's it's all about a border a Mexican border city and um these women who go missing there and turn up um tied up and raped and beaten to death uh and it's this like very like fantastical mystical um artistic play and her prose I, I wouldn't even say it's prose but like it's very poetic um do you have a pdf of that I don't. I have I have a hard copy. But hard copy. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I highly recommend. Time. Highly recommend. Um I will I will ask you to uh, message me the the title and the playwright again. Uh, that sounds like an amazing script. I'd love to. Yeah, definitely. And I just read um uh today actually I just read Small Mouth Sounds. Mm. Which like I saw, you know, the Arvada Center um, had that production all set and ready to go before everything closed down. And yeah. it's a that's that's also like a beautiful and totally unique play. Like it's, it's so much of it. I, for those of you who are unfamiliar, I mean like so much of it is done in silence, which I, I think is just fascinating. And as someone who I think throughout my career, I've really been drawn more towards movement and like how movement tells the story I think like that is a type of play that I would like be fascinated to see be a part of like you know because so many so many times as actors we think of words as our bread and butter and it's like but yeah. storytelling is so much more than that um and I think it's cool that people are starting to kind of delve into that now more too so yeah it's that's awesome I was looking forward to seeing that piece it's been uh, you mentioned Sarah Rule, and I was going to be doing Passion Play by her up at the Springs. Oh, fun. Yeah, and they, they pulled the plug on that. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, so many, so many really interesting, fun pieces that were coming up here on my end in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, that just, just missed the mark. I mean, piss poor timing, but who predicts these sorts of things, you know? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting. I think like one of the things that I have been grateful for or trying to be grateful for is like, I just got here. Like I just got to LA 
like six months ago. Mm-hmm. So in terms of trying to like get my feet wet or anything or like get things going, there hasn't been like I, I haven't been able to get a lot of momentum going because so much of it has just been about like getting settled and getting here. So it's like I I didn't have any projects in the work and I in the works and then also like I guess I don't have the sense that I'm missing out on a bunch, which I'm grateful for, you know, compared to some of my friends who have had filming put on hold or, you know, plays canceled and contracts just disappear. Um, I think that's like one of the the things that I'm really trying to like hold on to in this moment is that like this pause might actually be really great because I kind of felt like LA was trampling me a little bit beforehand. So. Well, definitely. I'm I'm glad that that's your perspective at this moment, or at least something that you're trying to. Yeah. Um, I this one day um, event and it got me thinking because uh, I follow you on Instagram and I think a lot of your 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 thought provoking material got me going when you Brent mentioned Swan Day. What is your definition of a uh, strong female lead character? Whew. Um, I mean, so I think obviously a great place to start is like the Bechdel test right so making sure that she's not just someone's wife or mother that that's not or sister or whatever or girlfriend mm-hmm. that that's not her defining characteristic um i mean i'm always drawn to women who have something to say like who are very opinionated um who maybe even are a, a little like antagonistic um I, you know, a, a character that I kind of love and have always wanted to play and have like kept in my back pocket is Beck from 4,000 Miles. Um, just cause like she's a small character and she comes on and she really just kind of like puts him in his place. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I like women with something to say who are opinionated. Um, I also think about like women who kind of, um, I don't know, suffer in silence or uh, take it on the chin. You know, I think like, you know, especially when you look at like period pieces and, and, and things that happen that are very much products of their time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I love new plays and I love, um, you know, the way that playwrights are giving women a a stronger voice and a stronger role but I also think there's so much value in going back to these plays and 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 looking at them in their context but also taking our understanding of women now and looking at like how are these women surviving to the best of their ability in these moments in time and what were they doing to survive and how were they honestly laying the groundwork for where we are now. I think that that can be really cool mm. as well. Especially, I've been kind of just diving back into Shakespeare, and I read this really awesome book called um, "Women of Will," which traces uh, like the development of Shakespeare's understanding of women through the way he writes them, and like mm-hmm. that's just—I mean—it's fascinating. And the fact that like someone, a man in that day and age, would really take the time to understand a woman to 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 like 
be curious about her experience and um, mm -hmm. the way that she sees the world. And I think you see that throughout, like in the growth of his female characters throughout the canon. So, yeah. I was uh, reading an, uh, an article that was posted on Facebook a while back that talked about strong female leads being often basically just what what was being what she was seeing happening was that these female leads these I should say put the air quotes around strong were mm -hmm. ones that were violent and overtly aggressive like men in action movies and like that's what made mm -hmm. them strong then I was I was it was a really great point because it talks about you know what what are the other things that make people specifically women strong and is it is it their is it their uh, you know their sensitivity that's highlighted the the aspects that define the divine feminine and now I'm starting to to start talking in uncharted waters so please <laughs> throw a Rubik's cube at me if I start to say something stupid because. <laughs> No, okay, so like that's the thing too. I mean, and I think you look at uh, people like Jamila Jamil, like I, this whole idea of being, you know, like I think conversation like this is healthy, you know, like so that yes, I have the opportunity to jump in and say, hey Sam, like I hear what you're saying, let's reframe it and think about it this way, as opposed to, and I feel this way too, as opposed to being so scared of offending someone that you don't have the dialogue. Um, and I think like, especially when we're talking about theater and film, um, you know, it's such a male driven world and male dominated and male controlled that if we, that if we make it so men don't want to engage with us so that we can be like, hey, I have issues with this script or, hey, I have issues with the way that you're asking me to portray this character. Um, you know, so if we don't have the space to have those dialogues, nothing's, nothing's going to change. Like, I, well, and I don't want to say that because I think that, I think things have changed in absence of that. I think, you know, you have women who have really like screamed and, and, you know, made their voices heard and that's caused change. But I think that, you know, there's so many different ways to have these dialogues with people. Um, but, and I think, I mean, I agree. I think that, you know, you think about like Wonder Woman is one step forward. And yeah. so like, so yes, we get the badass female action characters. And then we also get the loud, unlikable, mouthy women. And so, yes, which I love. And then it's like, so now how do we, you know, how do we find a way to represent a strong woman who also cries when she gets her heart broken and, you know, and feels insecure about gaining weight and, uh, you know, and is frustrated that her male colleague is moving ahead of her. like because like I know those women right like my some of my best female friends are badass strong women and I've talked them through breakups with shitty douchebags you know like we we can encompass you know the same way that you see these complex male characters who have you know oh gosh like they have such a soft side and the hard exterior and you know the the face that they present to the world versus their internal life it's like yeah okay we're the same <laughs> like so it just it takes you know understanding to write people like that mm, that's a great point the understanding 
Because I mean, I, I feel like I've seen women portrayed as strong people who have these other uh, emotional needs come up over the course of the story that some people would label as, oh, predictable woman. She's mm -hmm. overtly emotional, those types of things, without having any understanding beyond just that. Um, it, and it's labeling too, right? Like even the way that we label it, like, oh, over, like the woman who is crying when she has her heart broken is overly emotional. Whereas the man who's crying is vulnerable and open you know like it's like these the different ways that we start i mean and it also got i mean we could go down a big rabbit hole here into yeah. like gender roles and you know like when i was an undergrad i will never forget that like one of my teachers said it's far more interesting to watch a man cry and a woman struggle not to cry mm. like on stage like that was his thing because all, you know, we're 18 year old girls and we're like, watch, I can cry on cue. And, uh, you know, I'm going to cry the whole time. And, and I think he just got bored with it. Mm -hmm. um, which I mean, to, to a degree, I think there's, I think there's truth in that, but also, you know, I think that that jumps into the territory of how we manufacture real life. And I'm doing air quotes, like real life on stage. Yeah. It's like we're still always in the back of our heads thinking like what's the most interesting choice and that like as actors we're thinking that and I think that that's also like our biggest hurdle like as an actor yeah to get over like I want to be interesting and special and it's like well hey that's not your job <laughs> I, I, I to go along with what that teacher was saying I think the the crux of what he's getting at when I hear that statement is there's that it's it the struggle of crying is interesting yeah no matter who you are and yeah. and like yeah you think about and thinking about like how like the character's relationship to showing emotion too and that's where like your character comes into play too because there are people like hello yours truly who cry all the time you know i cried all last night watching some good news with John Krasinski. I cry during visa commercials, during the Olympics. I cry when I get frustrated and people aren't listening to me, you know, like, and then there are some people who just don't and they really don't want to show that emotion to the world, male and female, you know, so. You're not alone. My roommate, my roommate made breakfast for me today. Aww. And, and he's just this nice guy. But he made this egg thing, and I and I in in the moment it got me choked up, and then I realized I did the same thing like three months ago when he happened to make me another omelet. You know, it's it's I'm driving to work and I've got tears in my eyes. Someone <laughs> have the presence of mind to make me an omelet. They cared about you. They were like, "Wow, I'm specifically thinking of Sam in this moment when I'm crafting this beautiful omelet." Yeah, it was delicious. It was egg, it was cheesy. I mean, what's not to love? Was there but bacon? There. I also cry when I'm doing long division and I have a remainder left over. <laughs> okay, who's still doing long division? I haven't done long division since like eighth grade. Oh, no one's doing long division. It was a oh, Simpsons. They are now because they're trying to teach their kids. Yeah. That's true. God, I, I work at a school now, and the math that these fifth, these sixth, seventh, and eighth graders throw at me, I've no. There's yeah. no way. There's no way. 
know. Yeah. Basic arithmetic? I don't think so. Thank God I'm not a parent right now because <laughs> I'd be like, it's all theater all the time. Theater yes. games, theater games, theater games, interpretive dance, interpretive dance, interpretive dance. Zip. <laughs> Zap. Zap. Zip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Shout outs to all the parents listening at all. Yeah, home. for real. I'm like, gotta get my wine again. Cheers to you cool. all. And Steve behind. No. <laughs> all right, we're back now. So uh, now let's start the podcast. <laughs> Erica, theater, how did it happen? <laughs> I feel like every actor has like perfected some theatrical version of the story. Right. Um, so I'll tell you mine and then I'll try and figure out how it actually happened. Okay. Um, but I always say my first role was in the first grade play at Bromwell Elementary and it was a magic school bus play and you would think that maybe I would be Miss Frizzle with the curly hair. Yeah. No, I was the left nostril because it was a play about the human body. And I had a little speech about how like the hairs and the mucus in your nose protect things Those from what's in there. Um, yeah, so that's always like, that's my little, that's my fun anecdote, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I think like for me, I grew up uh, an only child in a house that didn't have a television until the Colorado Avalanche moved to Denver um, in, when I was like six. And even then we only had like the most basic cable. So like I spent a lot of time playing outside uh, by myself, just like in imaginary worlds. Yeah. Um, I had a massive costume chest full of my mom's old, like super duper hippie clothing. Um, and my parents also, <laughs> my parents' first date was on Halloween. So they always got super into Halloween costumes. So I had a lot to work with as a kid. Um, and then on top of that, like, People may roll their eyes at this, but my mom used to read me Midsummer Night's Dream as a bedtime story um, because I was obsessed with fairies when I was little. Like I think most most little girls go through that phase. Um, and so I think, you know, and I and I was fortunate that not only was my mom reading me Midsummer, but that I was like going to the ballet and going to the theater. Like we were going to the Denver Center. Like, like I grew up watching Sam Gregory and John Hutton, um, you know, and Jamie Horton on stage at the Denver Center. Like, I, those are people, you know, whose names I knew from the programs. Um, and so I think, you know, the more I kind of cultivated my imagination and, and, and then there was this like fluke where I was playing hockey. Um, when I was little, I played for like five years and, uh, I was playing right, there were no girls teams in Denver uh, when I first started. And I was playing right around the time when the women's US national team was like making a big splash. Like they were in the Olympics and it was this thing of like, oh my God, women play hockey too, who knew? Um, so there were all these commercials being made about like Cami Granato, who is captain of the US women's national team. And they came to my hockey team and were having kids like they were just pulling kids off the ice to slate um and i was the only girl 
And so I got cast in an AT&T commercial when I was like seven years old to play a young Cami Granado. Um, and I think like, and it was a whole thing. Like you, I went in for like fittings, you know, like in the, to have these like seventies old school, like hockey sweaters and hockey gear. And then, um, I actually, I ended up getting bumped to play her sister because they found someone who looked more like her as a little kid, <laughs> but the casting director remembered me. And so then the next year they were shooting a hockey themed Rubbermaid commercial. And so I got cast in that and it was the same thing. Like, costumes and a big day on set and cameras and I like I honestly don't remember much about it other than we got to hang out in a trailer in between takes and shots um and like do our homework I'm doing air quotes again because like it was we were not doing our homework we were four kids like eating snacks and being babysat um and I got a migraine and so they had to delay filming a day which now as like <laughs> <laughs> a grown actor I realized like holy shit that was a big deal yeah um but I think that was probably the first moment when I when it like clicked that like this is a job because like some of the kids that I was working with were like from it was a national commercial so they were from all over and they had, had like varying levels of experience and so all of a sudden I was like holy crap I could play pretend for a living like and and I think that was kind of the beginning of the end. And then, you know, I, I like did all the plays in the Denver area and then in high school, uh, you know, all the all the high school theater classes. Um, and I and it's funny, like uh, then I, you know, then I went to NYU and, and that's where I did my undergrad. But then when I, I was applying to graduate school and I was working with Tim McCracken to like prep my monologues for the audition. And it was sort of that thing of like, ha, like, you know, they're going to ask you why theater, like, why, why are you coming back to this? Cause it's also like, it's been six years between undergrad and graduate school. Like, like, so why are you here? Why do you want to be in this program? Um, so like I was trying to figure out my answer and like the two things that I really honed in on with my conversations with Tim and uh, well, with Tim were that I, the community, like that, like, I think as an only child, like I went from playing imaginary games by myself to like, I think about my first play and it was like, oh my God, I don't have to imagine the other people in my world. Like there are actual people who want to play with me. <laughs> and like, honestly, to this day, as a, in like 30 year old woman I don't can I curse I don't know yeah of course <laughs> as a fucking 30 year old woman like that's still one of my the things that I look around the table at a table read and I'm like oh my god I have like all these people to play pretend with like and and you get so close and it's so much fun um so that's my one mm -hmm. like why theater and then my two is like is the work like I more and more like I just love I love seeing study classes I love the rehearsal room you know and and as especially like in graduate school I feel like I finally learned how to work like how to play and experiment um which just that then becomes so much fun you know like performing's fun and the applause is fun and the you know the lights are fun and the energy in the, in the room is so much fun but like 
finding those moments in the rehearsal room where it's intimate and private and like, I don't know, and you're just like, there's so many possibilities. Because once you move to the performance, it's set. It's like yeah. a mold and it's set, but like in the rehearsal room, everything's fluid and yeah. And that, that's magic. Like that is theater magic. So yeah, that's it. That's my very short answer. <laughs> Did you get a chance to meet Miss Granado? Yeah. Yeah. The whole family. So Tony Granada, who then later, you know, went on to become the coach of the Avs. It was like Tony Granado and Cami Granado. Um, it, the funny thing about that is like I got completely edited out of that commercial because like Christy Granado, the one who I ended up playing, she like didn't. She was the one out of I think it was like five kids. She was the one who didn't really like to skate. <laughs> So I'm pretty sure there's like a bunch of like B-roll or background footage of me just like skating and like figure eights off camera, like waiting, but then I never actually went on. Yeah. <laughs> but then I have a picture with her. You're, you're <laughs> and I still got paid, so. Oh, well, there you go. That's the best. I, that's, at least you get that check. That would yeah. suck if, if they cut you out of the piece. They took the money back. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, but yeah, I got to meet him. I think the funny thing is too, and I don't tell people this because I want to seem like the cool kid who played hockey, but like the whole time I played hockey, I wanted to be a figure skater. So I think like <laughs> I'm meeting Tony Granado and even Cammy Granado, I was probably like, I'd rather meet Nancy Kerrigan. You know, like <laughs> so so embarrassing. So oh, embarrassing. Man. Um, I got a, I got a confession. I don't think Nancy Kerrigan would want to meet a child. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't really seem like the type to to like kids, does she? No, definitely. Um, this might be a Rubik's cube thing, so Nancy, don't get mad at me. <laughs> but uh, every time I think of her, I just remember her saying "Why me?" with tears streaming down her face. And I, I mean, yeah, no, what happened to you was terrible, but. Don't, that shouldn't be the first place you go. I'll do you one better. Uh -oh. I apparently, when we would go skating as a kid, like outside of hockey practice, I would go around acting out the Tanya Harding, like, my shoelaces, but my shoelaces. <laughs> like, and my mom was like, of course my daughter is idolizing and mimicking the, like, thug. <laughs> um. So. There's there's a whole Tanya Harding thing I can go down because I know way too much of that history. <laughs> uh, I don't like it's all coming to me now. I'm like, oh shit, that did happen. The sex tape did happen. Uh, let's not talk about that. Did you see I Tanya? <laughs> oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Like I worship the ground that Margot Robbie walks on. Honestly, I just like talk about someone too. I think it's really interesting. Like she, you know, with the way that she looks and her first few roles could have easily like gone down one path. Yeah. And I think like she's continually proves that she's like got the chops to back it up. So like, yeah, she's a fucking bombshell, but also the woman can act like, yeah. Yeah, no, she, she crushes it in pretty much everything. Yeah, um, and she's interesting. Like she like, again, like makes interesting. I don't know, I find her interesting to watch. Oh, yeah. She's extremely interesting in uh, The Big Short. Yes. Wait, no. Wolf of Wall Street? 
No, The Big Short. She was in The Big Short? I haven't seen it. It's, it's okay. Um, the, the comments are streaming and now I'm a predictable male pig. Wow. Thanks, for that. <laughs> Thanks a lot, viewers at home. <laughs> I mean, she's gorgeous. She's like, yeah. Top three Margot Robbie performances. I mean, I, Tanya. Mm -hmm. um, God, I thought she was really good in Wolf of Wall Street. I'm trying to think, what else have I seen her in recently? I'm not going to say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm sorry. I, like, I know people freaking love that, but like, I mean, she did the best with what she was given, but... Peter's going to be so mad. He loves Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, but he doesn't know how to write women. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't have to apologize to me. I I, I enjoy Quentin Tarantino films, but I would agree with you. Don't he likes please. feet. He likes women's feet. And um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> uh, we gotta, we gotta, so if it's not Once Upon a Time, are you putting in uh, Birds of Prey? I haven't seen that yet. It's probably for the best. Uh, I heard it was way, I mean, it was way better than the other one, Suicide Squad. Oh my God. Well, the bar was set so that low. That was low, yeah. <laughs> the bar was and, low. And I'm sorry, Ewan McGregor, now I'm a guy who fancies himself a Batman freak. I'm a freak, I'll be honest. I, I got toys. <laughs> I'm, a 30, I'm fucking 36, people, and I still have toys. He's holding up uh, an action figure, everyone, just see. So I, I've got, there's more. There's more Batman stuff. I'll put this away. Anyway, um, you, Ewan McGregor is not Black Mask. He's not. You can't put, you can't make Ewan McGregor look like a pretty boy with black eyeliner for the first chunk of the movie. And I'm spoiling it because it's terrible. And expect me to fear him when he's wearing, like, bedazzled jackets. Anyway. I digress. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I heard an interesting review specifically talking about the interpretation of that character that I really, that made me want to see the movie. Of Black Mask or? Um, yeah, of Ewan McGregor and his interpretation and the way that it was woven into the film. Send me that link. I would I love will. to read it so I can I give will. it a shot. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fool for, for superhero movies. I'm not one of the enlightened, you know, film aficionados. I mean, the films that got me through the first week of quarantine were like all of the Avenger movies. So I uh, get yeah. yeah. Oh man, I mean Disney Plus, fucking chilling. Yeah. yeah. Survival right there. In and out. That's all we're doing. It's comfort food and streaming. <laughs> um, the bread and streaming. Shower. <laughs> the occasional shower. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to impress anybody right now. Speak for yourself. Oh, God, Erica, come on. Oh, the, Zoom does allow, uh, you know they share your information, right? Yeah, the permeable, the, the, yeah, all the sense. One of my friends texted me the other day and was like, my husband and I just got into a fight because he farted on me. Oh, oh, oh man. She, did you text her back? Good thing he didn't do it in Dutch oven. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I did say it could have been worse. It could have been a lot worse. Maybe that's what I had in mind. I don't know. All the days are blending together. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so let's talk about the work. Because yeah. when you said that, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. That's the shit that matters. Um, what? I, 
That's a de- that's declarative. Um, the opinion <laughs> of Sam Gilstrap and the Ghost Lights podcast do not necessarily represent those of Erica Fox and Dan Rip. <laughs> <laughs> no, the work. The work is like that's the that's the stuff. That's the that's the stuff, and that's the stuff that makes it incredibly frustrating when people don't appreciate the stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I. I'll say, like speaking about a very, very much a newbie for Hollywood in Hollywood. Um, you know, there's all this focus on class and getting in class and blah blah blah, and um, which I think is awesome in theory. I think that oftentimes out here, class is like a vehicle, and you know, hello, I'm also like, let me get in a class and then hopefully I'll meet people and then gain some work from that. But like, also I want to be in class. Cause like, you know, God, it's, it's like, there's like the, um, like a Buddhist, I read it in like a Buddhist principles book. It's like this idea of like, if you're in a romantic relationship and you keep wanting to get to the point where it's like, okay, and now we're good. And now everything's fine. And now we've figured out all the problems and now we have it. We've got the relationship. And it's like, no, you never want that because that means it's dead. Like if a thing is not growing and changing, it's dead. Like, and I think the same thing applies to any actor. If you get to a point where you're like, and now I've figured out acting with a capital A and I'm done and I know all the things and I feel 100% secure and everything I do, <laughs> dead. <laughs> There's no resurrection for that actor. Like, you can't yeah. you. And I think like, I, yeah, I just, you know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's what I think. I think like you want to constantly be adding tools to the toolbox and like going with that, you also like the industry is changing. Like Mm -hmm. the world of theater is changing. Um, And like you want to grow with it. You don't want to be parroting old ideas and old practices. Um, Yeah, and you're like, as you grow with the work, like I, I think, you know, like <laughs> an epiphany I had in graduate school or like a thought, I guess we, we had this really awesome script analysis class. Um, and, and the second part of it was divided every week had like a different theme. So we did like uh, durational theater. So like, theater that's like six hours long we did um uh like so we talked about like time and we talked about setting and then we talked about gender and uh and then we talked about race and so like something I had to sit with like we were reading a bunch of articles all about like you know theater and and um, um, tokenism and you know all these things that we're grappling with as theater artists and like how do we depict you know accurate like how do how are we being responsible theater makers and picking our seasons and picking our seasons for a diverse audience and not just for the people who come all the time and pay the money Um, and then how are we being you know, and what plays are we picking and what stories are we telling and all that stuff. And so I had a moment where I was like sitting at home reading this article 
And it was like a real come to Jesus moment where I was like, you know what? I think I have to make peace with the fact that I hope more theaters start picking more shows that include people of color, even if that means there's less opportunity for me. Because I believe as a theater artist that it is more important to tell stories that are reflecting the America we are becoming and also in the hopes of reaching a more diverse audience than the past theater audience. It's more important to tell stories even if it means less work for me. And that was like a moment that I like, you know, I grappled with because I'm like, but I'm like a, oh, I'm a, I'm a young white woman and there's already not that much out there for me. Well, fuck it. Like, whatever. My stories have still been told way more than a lot of other people's. So I think, and I think about a lot of people who are still holding on to this idea, including a lot of, this might be a Rubik's Cube, but a lot of like professors that I've worked with, both in undergrad and graduate school, who have this idea of what theater is and are therefore trying to continue that idea and it doesn't work anymore. Like it just doesn't. And it's, it's irresponsible to keep touting it. The same people who, who prescribe to know what theater is are the same people who aren't growing. Yes. And they're, they're the same people that force us. And and I I say us as if I'm incorporating myself into some woke community, and I apologize. But then you force other people to push that wheel in the opposite direction to create more opportunities for people. Um, I had Betty Hart on a couple days ago here in Colorado, and I had told her about the times I've, you know, I played Othello once in a play, and I've played the physical embodiment of Kwanzaa, which... I don't know what anyone had in mind when they created the character of Kwanzaa, but I doubt you thought of a, a, a portly Native American Irishman, you know? And so I'm fortunate to have those opportunities for the youngster that I was in my career, mm-hmm. but you're absolutely right. I, I, I can't do that. And, and I shouldn't even say, it. it's not just those two roles. I've played... I've played Middle Eastern characters multiple times, and those have been amazing roles, epic opportunities that I gave my heart and soul to and tried to create the most respectful performance that I possibly could, avoiding stereotype and avoiding caricature. That was a, that was a part of my process every day I walked into the room. But even so, I don't know if I can necessarily take those roles anymore. Like if they don't, if people that fit that, creation by the playwright don't audition and I do or someone asked me to read then maybe that's a different story I've already done that but, but even oh. even then I'll say if you're choosing to do a play that requires that type of character mm-hmm. and you know that it might not be readily available in the community you as a, a theater producer director then I believe need to be doing the legwork to go out and encourage people who fit that, those qualifications to submit. Like that was, I mean, that was a big conversation that we had at, at my graduate school. There's a lot of, I mean, I went to graduate school in the South. There's a lot of issues down there. And it's like, what? You have, 
Yeah. Oh my God. Um, but like they, I, and this was before my time. So this is all stuff that I just kind of heard through the grapevine, but they did a, they did a production of hairspray and they did nothing to, uh, they did a production of hairspray at a school that was one of the, what I have, my understanding is one of the last to de desegregate. Mm -hmm. And they really did nothing to encourage a community that has no loyalty to that school to audition. Yeah. So you can imagine what their production of Hairspray looked like. I mean, it wasn't completely awful, but I mean, I'm, it was pretty awful, you know? Um, so it's like, you have to, like you have to make the overtures. You have to be like, hey, we're doing this production in the hopes of highlighting this person's experience and we wanna do it justice. So like, we're really, we want someone to be a part of it. You know, we want you to be a part of it. You person of. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it is, it is incumbent on the, the producer, the director to seek those people out. Danielle Betts, when we did Black Elk Speaks was months in prep before our first rehearsal. He knew he was going to direct Black Elk Speaks for months and he was out looking for people to audition. I'm glad our paths had crossed ahead of time that he was ready for me to audition. Um, but like, and yeah. That's amazing. That's so, and that's so responsible. And it's like, and it's not lazy, right? Like at the end of the day, that's kind of what it is. It's laziness. You don't want to change. You don't want to change and cause change is painful. Mm -hmm. Growth is painful. So it's these people who are like, no, I've gotten really cozy in the way that this system is working for me hello this is a much bigger issue right but like i've gotten really comfortable in the way that this like heteronormative white male dominated theater world is working for me and i don't want to change it and that's not that's not saying that those are those people like it's lots of people who have benefited from this system i think it's like but you have to be willing to do the work the hard work to continue to make us better i mean that's fucking corny but like that's what it is well, I mean, if it were if it were easy, no one would do it. Yeah, it would already have been done. Yeah, it. You're absolutely right. Um, will you really quick whisper the school you went to graduate school to me? Louisiana State University. Can they? Can you fucking email those people to spell go G O? I hate oh, the SEC. Well, we should have seen it when we had a snow day. Oh, God. <laughs> and you me are, being from Colorado, I was like, I am offended. I am offended I, by this. I want, oh, God, I hate it. Every time I see them write it out. And I understand the French Quarter. I get it. It's a big population. Mardi Gras. It's a great time. People. Yeah, French Cajun. It's a real culture down there. Yeah, it, I, I get it. I get it. But will you tell those carpetbaggers to sort it out? Okay? It's G-O. And snow is spelled S-N-O-W. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'll, pa I'll pass that along. Thank you. Because I know they'll listen to you. They don't listen to me. I root for the Big Ten. Oh. Alone. Oh, God. This, we, this isn't turning into a sports podcast, please. Favorite Colorado we Avalanche. Talk about hockey, but that's what I just did. Favorite favorite Avs player of all time. Of all time? Yeah, I, I'll let you build a Mount Rushmore of Avs players. So you get four. Okay, uh, Joe Sakic, obviously. Peter Forsberg, obviously. Milan Hayes. Size in sports. 
Milan Hayduk. Milan Hayduk. Of all time, is that what we're talking? Favorite abs. Yeah, your top four. Gotta say, I gotta put good old Nathan McKinnon up there. Well, you put Nathan. Yeah, dude. Have you? Oh my God. Have you been watching recently? Um, not recently. No. He is so good. You're 100% right. I haven't butted in until now. I was like, you got to put McKinnon in there. <laughs> Whoa, wait, wait a second. Yeah, I got damn support. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here's the thing. I, I love your list, and I'm not mad at the Nathan McKinnon pick. But there's a little goalie. Okay, he beat his wife. We're not on good terms. Peter, Peter Budai? Oh, okay, not him. I thought you were talking about the other guy. <laughs> Both other guys, actually. We've had two goalies who beat the shit out of wives slash girlfriends. Yes. Varlamov, get him out of there. And the other guy, it's pronounced Roy, Patrick. Get out. Yeah, there we go. That's right. I'm tired of these French Canadians. Rubik's, <laughs> I think I just got fired. I think I just fired myself. It's too late. Dan, don't edit those out because I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> All right, so... So you're going. So you're going. Hey Duke and McKinnon, um, Rob Blake, Adam Foot. No, I like them all. But I mean, if we're talking about like, like Super Joe was a playmaker. Absolutely. Dude, like saw everything happening on the ice about a minute before anyone else did, and would just like put a puck there, and then all of a sudden there was a person there. Yeah. And uh, Fapa did it all. You know, he hit, he sh- scored, he passed. He was beautiful. Blonde, piercing blue eyes. Oh, God, those eyes. Duke was also a playmaker, but, like, much, like, he was more of, like, the the assist man behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And then Nathan McKinnon's got, like, the super speed and puck handling that, like, come on. Yeah. Nah, you're right. I, I, I acquiesce. I, like I know. <laughs> this is where I go and put start putting on all my abs gear that I brought out with me to California. Do, do, do you have that? Go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll take a break. <laughs> you, no, I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. You're fine. There's a lot of it. It would take a while. Yeah. I, I used to have a Sackick jersey and it yeah. got lost in one of my many moves. I feel like you've probably seen it, but there's the infamous picture of when Joe Sackett came to coach my hockey game for a day oh. and he signed my jersey. It's on Instagram somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that. I remember seeing it and being jealous and throwing my phone across the room. <laughs> Of jealous of like six year old Erica. Yeah. Like, how dare she? I know. Be that cute and meet an idol. What? Curses. He already has it all. <laughs> <laughs> Life is unfair, man. It is. It is not fair. Anyway, I mean, if, if oh, living in this day and age has taught us anything, life is definitely not fair. Um, please, Nancy, just circumvent the process and put Bernie up. I'm going to share that political statement. Um, you don't have to agree. That's just my thing. Put Bernie on. Please put Bernie on. Um, moving back to the, the topic at hand before I derailed us. Because... You know, doing this podcast in a time when, like, we're not talking to humans on a regular basis means you're going to have, like, two hours to edit. Oh, no, this is totally fine. This is great. I mean, uh, to be to be fair, I'm very fortunate that I have a great friend, Dan Riv, be my producer. So I let him handle that, and I do all the <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'm not editing any of this out. Yeah, no, as of right now, we're doing great. Like, I'm, I think we're fine. 
Um, yeah, so screw the SEC and uh, moving on. When, when I got started acting, this is, how I, this is how I bring it up. When you're talking about hard work, it was an easy A in college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Show up, you get up, you, like, you raise your hand first like twice a week and you make sure that you never say no when you're called on to go up there. Mm-hmm. And then you get to pick all the other fun stuff that you want to do the vast majority of the time. Like you get to pick the monologue, you get to pick the scene and the scene partner. You get to read with the hot girl if you're good. Like, I mean, those are the things like, that I encountered. And that was fun for me. And it was, and I got through college, I got through, I got through with straight A's. Woo, woo, Metro. I, I, I still, still not working as much as my, <laughs> anyway, moving, we'll move past that. So anyway, I, for the longest time, it was the easy thing. Mm-hmm. Show up, now you get memorized, learn your blocking and boom, that's performance. And my gay dad um, called me out one day, not like on purpose to like critique, but he just said I was bad in something. And I couldn't figure out why. So I started paying attention to how I felt after performances. And I realized that there was no emotional connection. There was no, like I had heard actors talk about just responding instinctually and nothing I did on stage was instinctual. Mm-hmm. At least that's how it felt. And I felt as I grew older and I started taking classes and I started working with the specific acting coach to like, pull me out of my bullshit that is still there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's why it's imperative on actors to be constantly working on something. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I know it's hard right now artists cause you wake up and it's kind of the same routine you stay in, but. Well, and like, I mean, just, I, I just want to like put it in there because I'm dealing with that. It's not only like the absence of routine or like the time, like we're artists for a reason. It's because a lot of us have big old hearts. And I know for me, like the world has been weighing very heavy on my heart, especially this last week. So like putting anything out when I'm just trying to like keep my head above the water feels impossible, you know, like, so I think I just like, if anyone else is feeling that way, I want to put that out there too, because like, you know, it's not just about, it's, it's not just about like surviving personally. It's like, I look at everything that I'm seeing and I have, I've taken my head and put it firmly in the sand to like not read news articles because I simply can't handle it right now. Like my heart hurts too much, but anyway, that was my, yeah. And you're not alone, Erica. It's yeah. one of those things where, like, I, I might allow myself, like, 20 seconds a day of facts. And then I go, like, okay, I'm going to play NCAA 2013. <laughs> yeah. Or Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah. Or when do I get to call my kids? I finally got phone numbers. I can call the kids that are on my caseload. Like, yeah. I got to do that. I got to do that. Um, yeah. But what I, was, what I was driving at is that the work has got to be a constant thing mm-hmm. because I didn't. I didn't know what instincts were until you did table work and you, you marked your script and you asked questions and I, and I'm a, and I'm a, and I'm a, and I'm a, I'm a coward sometimes because mm-hmm. I won't ask the questions and I'll assume the director knows what's up, 
But if that's something that I bump, I run into where like there's a consistent question and it never goes away and it doesn't happen to be answered, it's incumbent upon me to ask so we can sort it out. And at the very least, come clean with your perspective on a character choice or whatever, a moment. Mm -hmm. You can start to really be present there in the moment. And I think if you do that work, more times than not, when things go wrong, you'll never know it. Because mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, we jumped a page. I'll get us there. Yeah. Boom. Or whatever. And take it away. Well, I think I, there's so much of what I, I find fascinating about everything you just said. I mean, like, even from your experience in college, like, so while I was in, in grad school, I was teaching as well. And I was teaching an intro to acting class that, like, all of my students, except for maybe two who were majors, were there strictly for an easy A. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I have a lot of thoughts about my training prior to graduate school. Um, and especially as I've like begun to study a little bit more like the pedagogy of theater teaching, mm-hmm. I'm starting barely, but starting to form my own opinions about how things should be. And a lot of that comes from seeing a lot of problems in the way that my training, which was very different from yours and that it was like super conservatory, but there were a lot of issues that I now as a theater teacher, look back and don't necessarily agree with. Um, And again, like talking about broken systems, I think that's a big part of it. Like I think I was trained in a very old world style Mm -hmm. that I don't think works anymore. And And I think is actually, can sometimes be very irresponsible and destructive, but definitely doesn't cultivate creativity. You know, like I, I, like one of the biggest things that I think about how much the fear and um, people pleasing was in my undergrad experience, like how much I wanted to get it right. And that's, that is multi-layered because like me as a person, I am, a little type A and I did always get the good grades and I did always want to get things right. But there was also this idea of watching my peers get praise poured onto them for certain things and then wanting that same response, but not being given the tools or the space to have that experience. So simply mimicking what they were doing or, um, and I, and I saw that even in my graduate school, you know, like you see, people having success and then you want to mimic what they're doing instead of being like, wow, what's the process that led them there? Mm-hmm. Or, or how can I experience that in my own way? Um, and then, and so then also like what fed that, you know, as people as teachers being on the flip side, cruel, you know, like, I mean, every conservatory trained actor has stories about people making comments about their appearance, especially women, their weight, yeah, you know, like their castability, learning your type, you know, and I think that like type stuff is valuable. Yeah. But I think especially when you're talking about an 18 year old actor, like, I think it can be irresponsible to push them in that direction too early, you know. Um, it's extremely short sighted. Yeah, especially because like the person I am now is completely different than than the person I was when I was 18. And, um, and then, I mean, like, and, you know, like your story about 
being at Metro and taking it for the EZA, like, I love that because, like, I had students in my class at LSU that were, like, you know, at the end of the term had similar things to say. Not that they were going to go be actors, but just that they, like, I just made the focus of, of my class about, like, experiencing connection with people. Mm -hmm. um, being vulnerable if you could you know I was that was not something that was that is easy for many people and especially I think in in those communities down there but like creating a space where it was like hey like I'm I'm all I'm asking for you in these moments is to come in here and try something new and and do your best and like and the feedback I got from my students at the end was like wow, we live in a world where everything is like you're doing that wrong or like you're getting negatively penalized for not doing this in this way. Mm -hmm. and, and they were so relieved, I guess, to come into a space that it was like it, it felt safe and creative. And that's like, that's what cultivate, not safety, you know, because I think you do have to be brave to be a creative, but I think trying to cultivate creativity from a place of fear and seeking, like wanting to get things right, leads to boring actors, uh, leads to actors who have a limited toolbox, because once they find something that works, you can bet your ass that they're going to hold on to it. And why wouldn't you mm -hmm. when like, you take risks and and are made to feel like an idiot instead of encouraged for like that was the wrong choice but i love that you tried it you know like yeah it's yeah i i think um yeah i i get i don't know i i just and then i just also on top of it too i think about how vulnerable you are at 18. Mm. you know yeah and, and and how vulnerable acting is like you're asking so much of young people to go in and and talk about things that they don't that they don't know and that they've never experienced and then you're chastising them when they don't understand what it is to be in love or to mm. grieve truly um yeah and i just i get i get frustrated when i look back at a lot of my training because you know, I think I'm able to appreciate more of it now, but I think I would have had a lot more aha moments earlier if it had been presented in a different way. Absolutely. I mean, I was, I had good teachers in college. Scott Lubinskizzle, the Lubinsky is his real name. I called him Lubinsizzle, Lubinskizzle every once in a while um, because I'm that, I'm that boy. Um, but he he challenged me my senior year, like the last performance I did in class before I left. I mean, he, he asked me the question, why are you doing it? And and it was one of those things that at the time I answered with bravado and I'm trying to graduate, brother. Like, mm -hmm. and, and it's I couldn't answer that question until I was 30. And I'd been acting. I'd, I'd been fortunate when I got out of school. Because if you can hit the note, you can play a part pretty much. Like, mm -hmm. hit your mark and speak. Mm -hmm. Do what the director tells you. And if he doesn't tell you, you probably guessed right on your first try, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and as I've gotten older, I think the idea that acting is a study of the human race 
is ringing truer and truer and truer the older I get. Mm-hmm. How many foibles I have. I still have my bag of tricks and I do everything I can to keep that shit dusty. Yeah. And you, you know, when I, when I'm scared on stage, my butt clinches and it's done that since I was in college, <laughs> like my right cheek just goes mm, fucking fist. And if you're standing behind me, you can see it. Um, maybe not so much anymore. Got a little <laughs> but anyway. No, but I think it's interesting, too, because it's my mentor and I were just having a chat the other day about, like, <clears throat> when we're young, and I think, I think what draws a lot of us into this is, the, is character and is playing pretend and this, you know, sliding into someone else's shoes and all the romantic things you hear about acting. But, like, at the end of the day, like what we want and what we crave is like the truth and the honesty and the, and the realness of the moment. And it's like, if you completely, you know, cover yourself, obscure yourself in character and, or tricks, you know, like you're the, the things that you've, that have been, you know, working for you mm-hmm. and you did, you rob yourself of the, possibility of having those moments and uh and i think like she's she's currently teaching undergrads right now and she's like i don't know how to encourage them to just be themselves like what if starting with like what if just you showed up to these set of circumstances we're presenting you know okay so then we know how you would react and now we layer on this quality and now you know so it's like it's building the layers and um, and that's where like the fun comes in, right? Because then again, like we, like I said already, like it's then it's different every time mm-hmm. until you find the the one that's like, oh, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's yeah. And then you dial it in, and then you get to performances, and it's still different. Yeah. It, but but it's familiar. Like I, I mean, those those are the things that I think, and you know, I, I I love to wax poetic because it's my podcast, and I love the sound of my voice. <laughs> but it's it, you. I mean, fuck the the moment it started raining, um, at we were doing one flew over the cuckoo's nest, mm-hmm. and at the Edge Theater, and they had a hard metal roof, and it started raining in the middle of the scene where, um the where mcmurphy's getting yelled at and i and and the chief is part of the problem mm-hmm. so he's i'm so terrified of what the nurses were going to do in the moment and it started raining and in i did so much work about questions i never was able to ask my real father that the chief is talking to his father the entire time during that play to like take that as a sign and just start shuddering and quaking and crying tears like I just got dumped mm-hmm. like or worse and to like live that moment and the second the tears go able to deliver the lines mm-hmm. or delivering the lines with the tears mm-hmm. and the emotion and all that stuff because you did the work mm-hmm. I know for a fact if that had happened to me when I just got out of college I would have never heard the rain. Yeah. Because I'd be waiting for my line. Yeah. 
and then there's no there's no moment yeah I mean, and those are oh those are the magic moments you know and and they don't happen all the time and that's where you rely on the craft and the and the rehearsal yeah but like man it's yeah when you have those moments it's like lightning i just i mean you're you're speaking about that and i was thinking i i did um a curious incident of the dog in the nighttime and uh i was the 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 um the kid who was playing Christopher was an amazing actor. Um, his name's Tyler Jones. He does amazing, hilarious YouTube video or Instagram dubs of, of like Patty Lapone and stuff worth checking out. Um, but like at the end, I'm just going to make me cry. At the end, there's like the beautiful moment where Siobhan gives him his results that he passed. Yeah. And like Tyler and I, and, and what helps too is like the emotional journey of the play at that point. But like every night, and it wasn't always tears, but like every night handing him that letter, I, my heart was racing. And then when he looks up at me and, and like says that he passed, it was like every night. And I've never experienced that ever in my life where I didn't have to like fake an emotion every night without fail. It was just like tears of joy like weeping like and and it was like yeah when you've done when you've done the work and the work with the scene partner too and that's like i think about on the flip side like what a gift tyler gave me every night of being that connected and going on the journey fully committed and and that's an exhausting part like for anyone who's seen the show He's on stage the entire time and it is a physically demanding experience and to make it all the way through and still be able to give me so much that like, oh, that moment every night just sang. Mm. Like it was, it was magic. That's, that, that's the recipe. Do the work, yeah. people at home. Yeah. Do the work. It's yeah. okay. Um, Erica, I got some rapid fire questions for you. Oh, since God. you killed the wine. I know. Oh, what bad timing. No, no, no. It's perfect timing. If, do you need to go freshen up your glass? No, it's okay. All right, then. No worries. You can do it. We'll, we'll be down here shortly, and you can get... <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. Okay, here we okay, go. Let's do scared. it. These are totally fine. I don't ask anything creepy. I don't... <laughs> yeah. We already covered the abs questions, your, your Margot top three. So these, these should be... This is a piece of cake. Lamb on right. me. Where do you get your news from? My muse? News. News. Oh. Right now it's Instagram. Literally, I follow this. I know it's rapid fire, but I follow the mayor of LA, and that's like the only way I can get my news right now. I'm like, cool. No, I got to wear a mask when I go outside. No, I'm not allowed to go to the beach. Deal. Nice. What movie do you believe deserves a sequel? Oh my God. Um, Little Women? No, I don't know. <laughs> it kind of already does both books. So, but yeah. I always want to know more about the March sisters. Come on. <laughs> I respect that choice. The last one that came out is beautiful. Well, that's right a, no, Greta Gerwig would have to write and direct the sequel. That's, Oh, okay. That's my asterisk. Well, we'll get we'll get her signed on. Um, I'll have I'll have somebody call her and make Great. that work. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your phone backdrop slash wallpaper? It's 
Colorado. It's mountains, of course. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Shout outs to Colorado if you live there. Oh, best place. <laughs> Which living musician would you pay the most money to see? Money's no object. You can go. It's Beyonce. Beyonce. Fuck yeah. Oh, nice. God. My friends got to see her in New Orleans and while I was there. And I'm so jealous. Oh. Where were you on that one, Fox? I was in rehearsal. Come on. Every actor's excuse. I can't. I have tech week. God damn it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, any director worth their salt would have understood. It's the queen bee. Anyway, I got another question. What stupid fact do you still have memorized from elementary school? The, the hairs and mucus on the inside of your nostrils are serving to protect things from going up into your brain. Yeah, great. Does that circle back to my first story? <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> you should be hosting this podcast. No wait, I need it. <laughs> no wait. It's my creative outlet. It's all I've got. Well, it's not all I've got. But I, I do love my, I love my ghosties. I'm going to hug you. Right. Moving on. What conspiracy theory? What conspiracy theory do you kind of believe is true? Oh my god! Pass. I don't know. I don't know conspiracy yeah. theory. I try not to dabble in conspiracy theories. Respect. Respect. What was your first celebrity crush? It's funny because I just watched the movie the other day. Gregory Smith in Xenon Girl of the Twenty First Century. Disney Channel original movie. Wait, what? Hold on a second. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Gregory Smith? Yeah. Gregory Smith. Um, girl of the 21st century. And here's the kicker. It, yeah. Him all grown up, no joke, is my ex's doppelganger. Like, to a T, in a creepy way. Is, is it this guy? Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. He's good looking. I know yeah. how to pick him. Well, damn straight. No, no judgments here. Throw that phone out of the way. And uh, last but not least, what's your favorite word? Oh, there's so many. Favorite word, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus? Awesome. No, right. no, no, no. Definitely not. <laughs> okay. Um, no offense. Uh, favorite word. Gosh. I I don't know. I don't I feel like I say the word love a lot, but that's like like it's the best word because it's like a term of endearment. Also, I love you. Uh also something's lovely. I don't know. That's Plus, fine. Got that really good V in there. Love. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That nice fricative. Let's get nerdy with it. Voice and speech. Fricative. Fricative's the word. <laughs> no. Okay. Fricative. Yeah, there we go. My favorite word. Love, love, I like I like it. I support I'm not that. good on the spot. That's why I don't do improv well. You we played zip zap zap at the start of this. We played Yeah, a and I was awful. Did you see the lag? Come on. Well, there was the lag. That's Wi-Fi. That ain't Erica. I was trying to figure out the most interesting way to say zip. You, you, you crushed it. <laughs> you made the choice. It worked. 
You're welcome. Um, when we get to this point in the podcast, I always ask, what is that ghost light you wish was left on for you, Erica, when you started your career? Oh, well, I definitely have one. I'm going to try and figure out like a succinct way to uh, put it. I think it's that there's no one right path. Like, I, you know, there's many different ways to find success and experience success. And, and I think that a lot of people and things will try and tell you it's one thing, but I think there's a lot of value in, in really, this is gonna sound corny, but in really following your heart and following the things that make you happy and the projects that excite you. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily getting caught up in, in what you think you like, quote unquote, should be doing. Nice. Very nice. I love it. I think you're absolutely right. And you have to understand, too, that this is a theater podcast. It's always going to sound kind of corny. True. Um, but Artists you know, waxing poetic about their craft. What works? <laughs> you know, it's, however you get through the day, make yeah. it fine. If, um, ladies and gentlemen, I was going to say something, but I'm just going to I'm going to do my little sign off here. Erica, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh my gosh, thank you. This is the highlight of my week, guaranteed. Well, I, 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 I hope other amazing things happen for you, <laughs> if possible. Um, but I know the ghost lights is going to be tough to beat, as it should be tough to beat when you're choosing your podcast, people at home. Yes, I don't talk about murder mysteries, but I do talk about theater. And I talk about how the SEC sucks. So please... Please like and follow and subscribe. Um, do me a favor if you get a chance, those of you at home. Um, first, download War by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. There are intro and outro music. Two, give a loved one a call. Three, don't beat yourself up if all you want to do is stay in bed. And four, do your best. That's all I got for you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Ghost Lights Podcast, episode 46, because fuck 45, we out this motherfucker. Dan, do the damn thing.